0: Hey everyone, we're back. Welcome to another episode of Ask Shane Anything. It's been a little bit since we've done one of these. We've been mixing it up on Fridays with different types of content. And that will be the case next Friday as we roll out something else. I hope you guys enjoyed last Friday's content where I wrote a big editorial about Xbox Series X and the Xbox business in general, uh, based upon the numbers and the comments, it seemed like you guys did. I um, we'll have something new for you guys coming next Friday. However, this show happens because some of you guys are pledging it's $7 or more per month at our Patreon at patreon.com sifted. If you guys weren't given that extra amount, this show simply would not happen. So thank you very much to all of you guys who are doing that. And thanks to all of our patrons, of course, everybody gets to ask questions. Everybody gets to watch the archive. However, if you are pledging at that higher tier, we do give you precedent when we pick the questions for each week's episode. So, here we go. Probably won't see another one of these for a couple more weeks. Hope you enjoy it. Let's get to your questions. (coughs) First up in this week's episode, the question comes from Joaquin Dragoon. I recently read that somehow we are halfway through the life cycle of PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series X. Do you think the cycle should be expanded due to how long it takes to make and release games these days? Do you think 10 years is enough? So I guess the first thing I would say is that even though PlayStation officially said that PlayStation 5 is in the latter half of its life cycle, that doesn't really mean that this generation is in the last half of the cycle. Now I'll say this, it's possible that at year 7 or year 8 the PlayStation 6 is released, but that doesn't mean that this generation ends. I mean, don't forget, there are still games being released right now for PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5 is like three and a half years old. So generally these last couple console cycles have been around 10 years and which is kind of a figure that you, uh, that you quoted there. Um, that's kind of what's happening. So it seems like you do get a new console every seven or eight ish years, but that prior console still sticks around and is still relevant for several years after that. So that, to me, has kind of been the biggest shift over the last 10 years or so. I mean, it used to be just like clockwork. Every five years, every five years, every five years. Every console life cycle was five years. Now, you didn't ask this, but I'm going to ask it of myself. Do I wish we could go back to that, where you had this new level of excitement, this renewal every five years? I would argue yes. Now, the data probably doesn't suggest that it matters, because PlayStation 4, one of the best-selling consoles of all time, we just found out today that PlayStation 5 is tracking a little bit ahead of PlayStation 4, so it also is on target to become one of the best-selling consoles of all time. Now, a lot of that is just that so many more people are playing video games now compared to the N64, the Xbox 360 days. Yes, the market has grown a ton, even since the Xbox 360. So, That kind of throws a little bit of a curveball into the data. Um, But I do think that having a new console come out every five years, it kept, and we've talked about this before with E3 and how the major news outlets would cover E3, but they don't cover anything else. And I think that happens too with console launches. Anytime a new console launches, you see the industry plastered all over your local TV stations, all over the major news networks. That doesn't happen as often if it's only coming out every seven or eight years. So I do think... For the casual market, maybe you're you're having a little bit of a missed opportunity there. But again, the data kind of bears out that what they're doing right now is working very, very well. So do I think the cycle should be expanded? No, I actually think that they probably should be shorter. But again, it's hard to argue with the evidence. Do I think that if they went longer, the evidence would back it up that that's a good idea? I do not. I do think if you get past like the eight year mark, I do think fatigue starts to set in. Um... And again, I think the other thing that's different now than how it used to be, it used to be when you got that new console, you couldn't play new games on both of them. It's like once that new console came out, that was a a break line. And all the games that were released after that only worked for that new console. It doesn't really work that way anymore. Again, as I said earlier, we're still getting PS4 games three and a half years into the PlayStation 5. So everything's different now from how it used to be. I think generally it's for the better. However, I do think shorter console life cycles probably would make the industry grow even faster. (coughs) Okay, next we have a question from Bachby. I know that it's more of a running joke between you and Matt, but wasn't the duh consulting agency sort of one of the jobs Marcus had at one point in time? If so, is that a dead job? It feels like there have been so many dumb mistakes made across the entire games industry the last few years. Are publishers not hiring impartial outsiders anymore to point out any potential blind spots? Are the publishers just living in bubbles? This is a great question, Bakby. Now, I'm. you're right. Marcus has been a consultant in the past. However, I think most people know him for being a PR person before he started working with us at Game Trailers. He did PR for games. He was the person who would bring the games to show them to us at all the different outlets that I worked at. And that's how I knew Marcus before he became a part of game trailers and invisible walls and annoyed gamer and all the other stuff that he ended up doing. So I know him as a PR guy. Now you're right, after game trailers went away, he did start doing consulting. And generally what consulting is, I think what he was doing for the most part were mock reviews where a publisher sends you early review code and you literally just review it as if you're reviewing it on invisible walls or wherever else. Although usually you write it, they're they're not video reviews. And I think he did that for a while, but I think that work has kind of dried up, to your point. Um, Another thing I would say, too, is that a lot of my former colleagues, guys who were journalists back when I was working at GameSpot and all the other places that I worked at, a lot of those guys have left the games journalism industry, probably a good idea. And are now working as consultants. However, a lot of them started working at a company called Hit Detection. And for a while there, they were a thing. Like if you go to Pactor's Party, you'd hear people talking about Hit Detection, this consulting agency that basically just did mock reviews and put together reports on games that they played early to try to help shape the development of the game as it finishes and maybe help them with marketing and things like that. It seemed like a big thing. However, it's like gone now. Um, I don't even know if it's still in business, honestly. I've actually kind of looked a couple times over the last year or so, and it doesn't appear that it is, or at the very least, only the founder is left there. So I don't have any empirical evidence. Anecdotally, it does appear to me that a lot of the consulting stuff is starting to dry up. And I think a big part of that is that there just aren't that many games released anymore. That's the problem. If you ran a consulting agency back in the PlayStation 2, GameCube, Xbox era... You wouldn't even be able to keep up with all the game releases. Now, granted, games were also a lot shorter then, um, so the projects wouldn't be as daunting for a consulting agency. So um, back then, that was the boon for consultants. And now it's like, how do you, if you're paid per project, how do you earn a good living if you're competing with other consultants for that pro- those projects, and there just aren't very many of them anymore? It's a, it's a tough gig. So I do not know 100% if Marcus is no longer consulting. He might be. Um, But as far as like the industry is concerned, it does seem to be drying up. Now that makes you want ask like, okay, well, where are publishers and developers getting the feedback from now? How are they figuring out, hey, this is a problem and we need to fix it? Well, I mean, for a big part of it is QA. We just finished level three and need to tighten up the graphics a little bit. QA people are smarter now than they used to be because everybody's smarter now about games. Um, It used to be very niche. People like me were, One in a billion at one point. That's not the case anymore. There are tons of people that know a lot about games. It's the information age. It's so easy to gain access to information about games. It used to be much more difficult. You used to have to work for it. Now it's just handed to you on a platter. So there are, I would argue, the QA people working at these developers and publishers are a lot better now than they used to be and are probably doing a much better job on shaping games and making them more palatable to a bigger audience. But to your point, they're still missing stuff. Stuff is still, way too much stuff is still falling through the cracks. Is it a dead job? I don't think it's dead, I think it's dying. Um, It's definitely not as prevalent as it used to be. I definitely do not hear my former colleagues talking about consulting gigs as much as they used to. So it does appear to be something that's on its way out. And again, I think it's just a function of the lack of output from the games industry in general. Um, Are publishers not hiring impartial outsiders anymore? It doesn't seem like it. But again, are QA testers impartial? Probably. I mean, they may have it in the back of their mind, like, I don't want to be too critical because they may fire me maybe if the developers are like, this guy just hates everything we do. I could maybe understand a little bit of that. But I think in general, they're just getting better and they understand games better and they're more valuable to the development teams than they used to be versus working with somebody like me. Who could come in and say hey i've been reviewing games for 30 years like and this is wrong and this is and matt too we both can do this um so anyway um are the publishers just living in bubbles no i I don't think it's that they're living in bubbles i think they're looking for ways to cut costs as we know is going on in the industry right now Um, and i think that they believe in their qa teams and i think they think that their qa teams do a good enough job um kind of bug testing their games and giving them input on making them better so i think there's several things at work that are making that industry slowly disappear (laughs) next up we have a question from someone who has a question in most ask shane episodes and that of course is kevin you've tried a lot of different things with game face through the years is there anything you tried with the show before that you wish you could bring back oh there's plenty of things um the biggest thing i think is guests um when we started game face we had a guest on every week and that was a lot to wrangle um and it just got to the point where as a a single person trying to produce a show like Game Face, the back and forth, the trying to wrangle, the, the logistics of getting them onto the show, getting them on Skype or on Zoom before the show even starts, and them having to sit there and wait until we bring them into the show before they can talk because we didn't have enough employees. I mean, most of, most any issues that we have or things that I would like to change, they always go back to money. It's always money. And You can say, how does that have to do with money? Well, having somebody there to handle that behind the scenes because, for example, once the show starts, I can't do anything. I'm hosting the show. I can't get on Skype and be like, okay, you're coming in in five minutes. We got you ready. We got you. We have to do all that before the show starts. So I would bring in guests. I would also bring back like live kind of gameplay stuff where we actually kind of demo the games for you. That is something that we could do now. Um, But I'll be honest with you, it seemed like a lot of you guys didn't enjoy it that much. And I think you're wrong. I think it made the show better to show you the games live. But I will agree that sometimes the transitions were a little awkward, going from just talking about it to showing the game. Um, As someone who worked in the industry a long time and has worked with PR, basically what I was doing is just what the PR people would do when they brought the games to us and showed us the game. So, I think there's value in that. And then, of course, last, it's just the location. Um, I love Matt to death, man. It's so awesome that he's given us a place uh, or a room in his house to do the show. But, not not having your own space, one, I have to drive a lot longer to get to do the show. Um, It's... If I want to, like, make changes to the set, I have to set it up before. And again, like, uh, thank you, Matt, for everything you're doing for Game Face, for giving us a room to do the show. I appreciate it so much. And I was pointing out the show could be better if we had our own studio in our own location because I could be in there doing stuff. Now I have to make sure Matt's available. He's OK with me coming over there and the timing and everything works out. There's just a bunch of stuff that happens behind the scenes related to having your own location and your own studio that makes doing a show, makes the show better, and it makes it easier for me. (laughs) Just being selfish a little bit. So those are the things I would bring back for Game Face if I could. (laughs) All right, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Ask Shane Anything. I realize it's a little shorter than normal, but as you guys know, I am dealing with some insane crap behind the scenes here. It has not ended, it has not let up, and in fact, it's just kind of getting worse now, because. Now we're getting rejected for our disputes and now more chargebacks are rolling in. So it's actually kind of in the really bad part of it all right now and I have to deal with a lot of it and I'm going to be dealing with it this whole weekend. so. I don't have enough time to edit this all day. I need to get working on that stuff because again, I need to work on it while people are in the office and right now it's noon and I'm running out of time. So I'm sorry people that this is a little shorter than normal, but uh, we'll be back next week with another surprise piece of content on Friday. I wanna thank all our patrons who support us, especially the people who pledge at $7 or more per month at Ask Shane Anything tier. Because of you guys, we do this show. Because of you guys, the show is great because it also works out that most of the people who are pledging at that tier are asking a lot of the better questions for the show. One thing I should mention, please don't forget about us. Don't forget about this show. We still need your questions. It's been like two or three weeks since we've done an episode of this, and we had just enough questions to do this episode. So please head over there. There's a link in the header at sifted.net. And again, we're not doing the show as often anymore, but we still need questions. So... If you guys could please click the link in the header, go to our forums, ask me a couple questions. When we come back to do the show again in a couple weeks, we should have another awesome episode. Have yourself a great weekend. We'll see you on Game Face on Tuesday.